to start off real quick as we are coming out of summer. Hard to believe that summer has come and almost gone. We're kicking into our fall's uh, programming, and I know it's already been highlighted, but just to, again, help us anchor down, because we need a lot of registrations this week so we can be prepared as we relaunch Wednesday nights and everything else. So Wednesday Recharge kicks up this week. It's our midweek recharging where we all come back together from our children all the way up through adults. There will be uh, the meal starting back again at 5.30. It's a $2 box meal, sandwich, chips, and a drink for 2 bucks. You can't beat that. If nothing else, just help your family budget. Show up on Wednesday nights. It will help you there. But more than that, we have the Bread of Life to break out. For our children, they're starting a new Wednesday night strategy. Instead of Juana's, it's now being called Charge. It's got a, a, a unique flavor. It has some similar disciplines from Juana's, but some other things that are being added in. It's going to be a great Wednesday new strategy for our children. Our middle school continue to have crash, and they'll all go on. All that starts at 6, including our midweek worship service right here in the sanctuary. So uh, if you want to sign up for a meal, we need to know how many to prepare. Use a communication card digitally or right there in front of your chairs. Turn those in this week so we can be ready. And then, men, uh, we want to come back. We have a low start to our kickoff this Thursday coming up. We have an NFL uh, player, former player in the NFL, who's going to be coming and sharing from God's Word. And then we have some homemade hamburgers, literally homegrown, grass-fed beef. Going to be a good kickoff Thursday night. Love to get all of our men back out as we kick off the fall. But then next Sunday, something you've not been hearing about is a special one-day emphasis in Life Our Church called Reaching One Forever. This whole year, our theme has been going one-on-one -on -one with God and then who your one is and praying for that person that needs to know Christ. Men, frankly, you ought to bring who your one is to our Thursday Night Momentum Meet, a great way to get them under the gospel. But then what if I told you that you could continue to reach people with the gospel even after you were gone from this planet? Next Sunday, we're going to look at that, the stewardship of our kingdom calling to reach people, our ones, while we're here on earth, but that we can also do that beyond our lifetime. And so it's going to be a great time. Uh, we'll have a special guest preacher in the morning, then we'll come back from 4 to 6 p.m. We'll have a snack meal in the middle of that. We'll have great testimonies. You're going to hear some life-changing testimonies of how people have been awakened to who God is and how God works through our stewardship. So I hope you'll be a part of next Sunday. It will bless your life. Let me pray for us this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to celebrate you, to worship you in spirit and truth, Lord, we also come to let your word be a lamp to our path. I pray, Spirit of God, that you would be our teacher, that you would guide us into all truth, not just to learn it in our heads, but that we'd receive it in our hearts. God, set us free today as we experience your truth. For we ask it in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Before some of you were born, the year was 1969. It was the first time man would step foot on the moon. Apollo 11 was carrying our astronauts there as we were beginning to advance out into space beyond this Earth's atmosphere. As they would land on the moon, the astronauts took a goodwill disc. Now, what is that? Well, you see a version of it there on the screen on the right-hand side. Uh, that is the disc. You can see they labeled it from planet Earth. Just in case somebody from another galaxy ever shows up on the moon, they'll know we sent this message. And in this disc that's still on the moon today, they had messages from 73 different nations that put input into the disc. Uh, goodwill messages to anybody who might find this disc on the moon. 
the Vatican submitted their note into the disc and they chose a passage of scripture. Now, if you had that opportunity and they said, you can put a note in this disc, it's going to be on the moon forever, which passage would you choose? Would it be John chapter 3, maybe for John 3.16? Would it be Psalm 23? Would it be some other favorite passage of scripture that you have? Well, the Vatican chose Psalm 8. And to this very day, Psalm 8 is still contained in that device, sitting on the surface of the moon. Now, why Psalm chapter 8? And, and my bigger question is, will Psalm chapter 8 be more uh, relevant on the moon than it is in your heart and my heart here on planet Earth? Let's take a look at this Psalm, Psalm chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn there because we're going to be there most of the time. You can hold your place, and then we're going to go to another passage here in just a minute. As we look at Psalm chapter 8, I believe this song, and that's what psalms are, while you know it as a book in the Bible, it's actually the hymn book. It's songs that were written, many of them, most by David, and by others who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to point us to the person of who God is. David has written Psalm chapter 8. This psalm that was put in the canister that made itself all the way to the moon is sitting in your lap this very day. What is it about Psalm chapter 8? Well, I believe David was reflecting I believe that this song came from a very specific day in the life of David. I think that this song comes out of his day that he had on a battlefield where he was facing a giant with a sling and five stones. I believe that it was as he had experienced God's strength, God's glory in that moment that all of these truths we're about to study come out in his story. You see, David, as he's reflecting on this day, realizes that he got to do what a whole army couldn't do. But he also understood it wasn't his doing that brought the victory. It was this God that lived in his story. Uh, if you want to hold your place there in Psalm 8, where we'll be in a moment, go to 1 Samuel 17 and see context. 1 Samuel 17. And when you get to 1 Samuel 17, we find this battle that happened this day in David's life between he and Goliath. As we look in on the story, we see the heartbeat of David and why he experienced victory in that moment. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 37, David would say to King Saul, a, a, a challenge has been issued. Goliath has said, listen, you send out your champion, I'll represent us, the Philistines, and whoever's champion wins the battle, that wins the war. Well, all of the uh, army of Israel is hiding over in the hillside Many of them, or some of them, were David's brothers. And as David comes to bring lunches to his brothers, he sees this taunting giant mocking God and his people. David says to Saul, the Lord who delivered me, the Lord who delivered me, the one who delivered me from the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. What David understood is that David was nobody special. David was just a little shepherd boy. And while there was this great seasoned warrior in front of him, greater is he that's in our story than he that's in this world. David understood that all of his victories, while he had conquered a lion and a bear, this giant would be no different because God had always delivered him. He looked to the Lord to be his strength, his champion, his victory. We get to verse 42, and it says that when the Philistine looked and saw that David was being sent out. This little itty-bitty shepherd boy 
that it so bugged him and it so galled him that he had disdainment for David. For he was but a youth, a little baby in his eyes, ruddy with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. This guy had his weapons. This guy had his muscles. This guy overpowered David. And yet David said, but I come to you in the name of a daisy rifle. Is that what he brought? I come to you with these biceps. No, he didn't come in his own strength or his own weapons. What did he say? But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. David, at an early age, learned the power of who God was through his name. And he said, my strength and my victory comes because I have a God who's the God of my story. The question is, do you know that God? Do you have that same weapon in your life and in your story? David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And I'll strike you down. You think you're going to give me to the birds in the field? Listen, I'm going to take your head. That's what he said to Goliath. But not him. He said, the Lord will be my deliverer. And sure enough, as that day happened, God, who was on David's story, gave him a great victory over Goliath. He now is a legend in one single battle. He becomes a legend of Israel. He goes home that night to his sheep as... He should as a shepherd boy. He's laying out in the fields. He's exhausted from the day. And he's reflecting. And he's thinking about what God has done. And in all of that, as his reflections are recorded in this song, he draws some amazing conclusions. I want you to see what God was teaching him. Look at verse 1, Psalm chapter 8. He begins in that name that he brought against Goliath. He begins this song because he realized the name of the Lord is our strength. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. As we look in on this song, the first thing he begins is he declares praise to his God. Now remember, Goliath called out and cursed in the name of his gods, plural, little g, David sings this song and says, no, O God, our God. The first part of the song, O Lord, that word for Lord there in the Hebrew is translated Yahweh. That word for God's name, Yahweh, literally means covenant-making God. You see, for all the other people on the planet in David's day, in your day and mine, they either have no God or they have other gods, but they don't have a God of relationship. David was declaring, my God is a God who is a covenant maker. He is one who desires to have relationship with little itty-bitty shepherd boy me, David. That same Yahweh desires to have a relationship with you, a personal relationship. Now, he didn't cry out and just sing out to the creator of the universe, although he could have, and he acknowledges God's creation. But he calls out to his covenant God, Yahweh. The second word used there, he says, O Lord, our Lord. That word for Lord, the second Lord there, actually in the Hebrew is Adonai. It is a different depiction of the person of God. 
That yes, God is one who wants relationship with me, but then he says he's Adonai. Adonai means one with authority. It means one who is sovereign or Lord. What David was saying is, I'm not just talking about the God who created all this. I'm not just talking about some deity. I'm talking about a God that wants to have relationship with me. And I'm talking about a God who in that relationship, he is my king, my lord, my master. He is sovereign over every part of my being. O Lord Yahweh, our king. One who would become king of Israel, first of all, had to have a king of his heart. And that is the one he's singing of, is the God, not just a God who meets his need and troubles, not just a God who shows up when I'm facing Goliath, but Adonai, the Lord who is sovereign over every part of my being. He then reflects in the last part of that. He says, you have displayed your splendor above the heavens. While you are my God and while you have made relationship with me, I look out and I see as he's laying on his back and facing that dark sky filled with the lights of God's glory. He draws a conclusion that even creation itself speaks to who God is. And yet throughout human history, man has done everything possible to explain away a creator. We've come up with all of our theories and all of our explanations and our students are, are paying tens of thousands of dollars to go into debt to hear these theories. These explanations for why we exist and what David is saying in the simplicity of his faith, but also in the reality of creation. You have to draw one conclusion. There has to be a creator. You say, well, Bill, that's old school, and he wasn't enlightened as we are today, and we have science today, and oh, isn't science so perfect? Isn't science so ever truthful? Or is it changing as it comes to understand more? In these theories, we have all kinds of theories, and you can go back and you can see there's even one called the extraterrestrial origin, a theory that was given back in 1865 known as the cosmosic theory and it has all these deals about seeds that were floating through the universe that just happened to germinate right here on planet earth you want that to be your theory go for it other theories that are out there pointless uh, a, a number of theories i should say spontaneous spontaneous origins there's the one of a lightning bolt that struck out and all of a sudden a burst of energy populated humanity well as you look at all these theories they all start with having to have some source of matter, whether it's a protein, a molecule, a proton, some substance, lightning. Where did all that come from? There has to be a creator, and that is exactly what David is pointing us to. He says, when I think about your creation, even that points me to my creator. Psalm 19, verse 1, he would write it this way, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims all of his handiwork. What David is saying is that creation itself is proclaiming a sermon. That if you will just look at everything around you, including looking at you, you have to draw a conclusion that there is a God who created you. Romans chapter 1, Paul preached it this way. He said, we have known what we know about God is plain to us because God has shown it to us. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. All of these things have been put together and have been made by him so that we are without excuse. David, as he's experienced this great victory, this great moment, this great day in his life, 
now at the end of his day, he's reflecting on the moments, and it goes beyond his victory. It goes to the one who brought him victory. As he's looking at that canopy, he isn't thinking about Goliath's head that has now become his trophy. He's thinking about his Adonai. He's thinking about his Lord and how glorious God truly is. Verse 2, look at Psalm 8, verse 2. He says, and if you can't see it in creation, you can even see it in the created. Even in little babies, you can see God's power. He says, for from the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. What does that mean? Why all of a sudden does that come about? Again, it comes back from his story and history. His story first. He comes out against Goliath, and Goliath looks at him. And what was Goliath's claim? You sent an itty-bitty little boy, little baby, to come fight a big, grown man, a warrior. And in that moment, in that day, you can't say it was David who won the victory. You have to point to a God who lived in David's story. God shows his power in those who are weak and even through the mouths of infants and babes. Jesus would literally point to this psalm as he would have his triumphal entry into Jerusalem at the end of his days, and he would be there ministering that last week of his life. You want to take notes? You can write it down in Matthew chapter 21, verses 14 through 16. As you look in on that story, he has come in triumphantly. And who's waving the palm branches? It's the kids of the city. And there's some adults thrown in there, but it's the kids celebrating Messiah who's coming, the son of David. He's there in the city and he's healing the blind and the lame and the chief priests and the scribes, the religious professionals of Jerusalem were upset, bitter, and ticked off. And they look around and they hear the praises of who? The children. And listen to what they were saying. Hosanna to the son of David. It says here that those religious zealots became indignant and they didn't want to hear all of these things being sung or being said. And Jesus said to them, Have you not heard and have you not read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast brought perfect praise. Whether it's in creation or even created young hearts like little children, we can see the purity of who God is. We can see how God manifests himself through the perceived weak to demonstrate his strength. Whether it's a baby who is placed in a basket placed in a river that would grow up in Pharaoh's house and lead Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, or whether it was a little shepherd boy with five stones and a sling, God's power was manifested through the weak. And now we also see God's majestic power defeating the enemy of our souls, leaving his throne in heaven and coming to this earth for your sin and my sin Not in the form of a roaring lion, but how did he appear? As he left that throne, he came to this earth as a baby, born in a manger. God's power on display. Look at verse 3, Romans chapter 8, verse 3. As you reflect on those things, and as David was reflecting, I I look at all creation, the greatness and vastness of who you are, God. And I think about, you created little old me, a little baby boy, as Goliath just said. And yet, you just gave me a great victory today? Look at his next thought. Look at his next challenge. He wrestles with this. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. 
says, I start to realize it's bigger than just me and my day and my victory. When I look at all of creation, I'm blown away by the big God of all of this who's a big God in my story. The works of your hands. Stephen Cole, who writes for Bible.org, listed the complexity of little old us. We think about how big the cosmos is. Think about the uniqueness and complexity of just you, little old you in this whole big universe. He tells us that the human brain, on average, this doesn't apply to all of us maybe in the room, have 10 billion nerve cells that are interacting in coordination together so that we function as we do. 10 billion nerve cells. Your eyes, your eyes, just the eyes itself are so complex. They have a hundred million receptor cells in just the retina, which also contains four other layers of nerve cells. And the system makes billions of calculations per second, traveling all the way through your optic nerve to this brain that has 10 billion nerve cells that then engage on what you've just seen. And all that happened because of a strike of lightning. And all that happened because some cosmic ooze decided to get juiced up and just become something bigger than what it was. Your skin has more than two million tiny sweat glands, about less than that for the girls in the room. 3,000 sweat glands per square inch. Why? To regulate your body temperature. Your heart beats on an average of 75 times per minute, 40 million times a year, half a billion times in a lifetime. It pumps over 3,000 gallons of blood a day. Can you imagine that? And this just happened. The complexity of you and who you are. Your body is supported by more than 200 finely designed bones connecting to more than 500 muscles, tendons, and ligaments. And all that goes together to make this well-oiled machine. And it just happened. It just came out of nowhere. It came out of some supernatural energy that just burst apart in a big bang. Galileo was in his home one day and he built a huge model of the universe as he understood it at that time. With all the planets and the sun, he even somehow worked it up where it was mechanical and it would move in alignment with the sun and its rotations and all this was going on and it was a masterpiece. It was glorious. One of his friends walked in and said, oh my goodness, that's spectacular. How long did it take you to make that? And he said, I didn't. He said, you didn't make it. Well, who made it? He said, nobody. And the guy said, that's impossible. That, that couldn't just happen. He said, exactly. Do you get his point or do you need to wake up? That can't just happen. There had to be a creator, a designer, and that was Galileo's point. And he was drawing attention to the glory of what God had put together. David's doing the same thing in Psalm chapter 8. And we could go on and on and on and talk about our digestive systems, our lungs. We could talk about how we taste and smell and touch. And yet, he draws all the attention to God's glory as displayed in the heavens. It's hard to get our brains around the vastness of God's creation. Let me give you a few stats. They tell us that if you can travel at the speed of light, I know many of you have tried that on Rockwell. I don't recommend it. But if you could do that in the universe... 186,000 miles per second, it'd take you eight minutes to get to the sun. That's book and chili right there. That's, that's some serious time travel. But if you then take that same principle and you go from the sun to the center of the Milky Way, it would take you 33,000 years. 
what took just eight minutes. You couldn't even get to the midpoint of our galaxy in less than 33,000 years. The Milky Way belongs to some 20 galaxies known as the local group. To cross that group, you'd have to travel for 2 million years at light speed. It goes on and on and on and basically says to cross the entire universe as we know it to this day, it would take you 20 billion light years. That's big. That's huge. And yet David is saying in all that vastness and all that God has created, here I am, little old shepherd boy, living on this itty-bitty planet called Earth, and God cares? And God's involved in that? And it blew David away. He wasn't blown away that he just conquered a giant. He was blown away that God was in his story. Look at verse 4. For what is it? What is man that you take thought of him? Job would wrestle with that in a very negative way as he was struggling. And he would go on to say, why do you keep, why do you keep caring about my story, God? Why do you look in on me every day? Why all this? And why do you allow me to be tested? Why am I? And he was struggling with that reality. But he knew there was a God. And he knew God was engaged at every level. Has that ever blown you away? That in the vastness of all this creation, God created you. Why? Why would God give any attention to give us life in the first place? So we could pursue our own passions? So we could do what we wanted to do? So we could just have a little party for a lifetime and call it done? Does God have a bigger plan than that? Does God desire to show off his glory through you who were designed in his image. And that's the story. Then all creation, David's going to reflect, and he goes on to say, look at the last part of verse 4, not only in me, but he, then he says something very unique and very strange that I don't think he fully understood in the moment. He thought he was talking in his context, but the prophecy was coming through the Holy Spirit to let us see a bigger picture. So why do you think on us, man? And then look at the last part he says, and the son of man that you care for him. The son of man. You know that that was one of the greatest descriptors Jesus used while he walked on this planet? He declared himself to be the son of man. He was pointing to this prophecy in Psalm 8. That God so thought of you and me that he sent the son of man, he sent his only begotten son. Why? Because what God originally designed to reflect his glory in all the earth had become tainted and destroyed by sin. David was reflecting on Genesis when he came to understand, and you gave us dominion. Take a look at it. For you've made him little lower than God. You've crowned him with glory and majesty. You've given us dominion over the earth. You had all this creation, and you could have put the angels in charge, and you could have done this, and you could have done this in the animal kingdom. But you made man in your image, and you gave us dominion over the earth. But the sad thing is this. Man chose to relegate that dominion to give up that dominion instead choose sin and in that while we were to have dominion over the earth now through sin listen to this the earth has dominion over us this earth has a pull on us this earth sucks us into all that it seeks to offer and all it tries to fill that god-shaped void and it shows up empty all the time there are people today that are in addictions and all kinds of struggles because this earth has dominion over them David was reflecting and saying, God, you th so thought of us and you had such a purpose and such a plan that you wanted us to have that rule and authority, that delegated 
sovereign authority that you have as king of kings. You've made us to rule like kings on this earth. And in that moment, David was blown away that God had such a divine purpose for his life. Did you know that God wanted you to have dominion in life as well? That God wanted you to be a model and a picture of his glory and his sovereign authority? That we would walk in that privilege and that blessing and yet we've abdicated that and thrown it all away because we want what the earth has to give us. Hebrews 2.9 says this, So God brought us the Son of Man. He was made a little lower than God. He was crowned with glory and majesty. Why did he come? Why did Jesus come to this earth? writer of Hebrews tells us, and he goes back to Psalm 8. Listen in. But we do see him, Jesus, who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The gospel is contained in Psalm 8. The gospel is understood that because I was originally designed to have a relationship with God, I lost that in my sin. And Jesus Christ came to fix all of it, to restore us back to that relationship with Yahweh. And we understand that we get that relationship with Yahweh through Adonai when we make him the king of our lives. But sin was in the way. And sin made us now, instead of dominion over the earth, earth has dominion over us, and we can only be set free through Adonai. The Lord God of creation and the Lord God who creates a new life through the Son of Man who paid the price for man's sin. It's a powerful picture and a powerful understanding. And my question for you is this. Can you sing this song that David sings? Are you able to say, oh God, I got my God? Or is he just a God? Is there just a deity? Is there just a God in your understanding, in your head? But there's not a Lord, there's not a king on the throne of your heart. David, as he reflects on that day, he lays his head down in the field and looks in the sky. He doesn't start asking God for bigger giants and bigger glory. He doesn't ask and sing a song about himself and his accomplishments. He's humbled to realize, I got to be a part of something special today because the God who created all this is a God who wants to be involved in my story. And my God delivers me from lions. My God delivers me from bears. My God delivers me from Goliaths. And whatever I face in my life, I have a covenant relationship with God who is my strength, my joy, and my salvation. He's my Adonai. He's my king. So look at how he finishes the song, verse 9. It's not about him. It's not about what he has just done. It's about the one who did it. Look what he says. O Lord... Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The reason David was a giant killer, and the reason David had great victories, is because he understood the power of the name of God, Yahweh Adonai, his covenant God, who was the Lord of his story. Is that true of you? Is this your song? Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Aren't you glad he wrote a short song this Sunday morning? I'm not taking that personal. But there's power in this song. This song is so powerful that the Vatican wanted to make sure that that story was told even on the moon. God forbid it be relegated to the moon 
and not those of us who walk on this planet. May that be your story. Is God Yahweh in your life? Or is he just somebody you call on in times of trouble? Is he Yahweh, the covenant-making God? Have you made a covenant with the Lord and said, God, I need you to be the Lord and master of my life. I need you to save me from my sin. Has that ever happened for you? If it has, like David, say, thank you, O Lord, my God. Glory to your name. If you can't say that, as I couldn't for nine months sitting under the preaching of God's word in a church I started going to as a junior in high school, I knew there was a God. I called out to him many times. But he wasn't my God. And there was a day, a moment, where I faced a Goliath, the lies of the devil. Would I stay like I was, empty, searching, no purpose? Or would I trust in this God named Jesus? The one who left heaven, came to this earth, died on a cross for my sin. It was in that moment that God took the blinders off my eyes and showed me my need for a relationship with him through Jesus. And I believe that day, the rest is history, his story in me. If that's not a part of your story, if there's never been a time where you've cried out to God for his forgiveness and his grace, but also cried out to him as Adonai, your Lord, the sovereign over your life. If he's not sovereign over your life, he's not your savior. Adonai. Lord, today, just pray this. If you don't know him as Savior, just say, Lord, today, I open the door of my wicked heart. I repent of my sin. And I invite you in to this person. I remove myself from the throne and ask you to be the sovereign Lord of my life. The Bible says it's in that moment that you are now saved. You become a child of the King of Kings. He's now your God you just prayed now, whether it's online or in this room, we'll have ministers here at the front, we'll stand and Alex will begin to sing. I want you to come and say, man, today I trusted Christ. We had some decisions in the first service where they had to stop and contemplate who is God. Is he just a creator or is he my Adonai? Are you wrestling with that as well? Maybe you need a church family. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you as you're struggling through something. We'd love to minister to you in this moment. Maybe you need to come like somebody did in the first service and grab another ping pong ball as we continue to pray for our one, somebody who needs Christ. You can come and grab a ping pong ball and put it out by the cross. Whatever you need to do, do it now in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for each and every person in this room. God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven right now in every heart. God, may we give you the glory now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Staff are waiting. Alex is singing. If you need to come, you come. I hear the Savior sing thy strength. And you heard his voice this morning? Is he speaking to you? Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in Jesus made it all.
tough time on this planet with a virus that is affecting people's health and in some cases even taking their their life especially with this generation this service younger families it's really moved in on a second wave and and we need to be praying for our friends our family we also need to be praying for opportunity that when it gets darker like this the light can shine brighter that we would be the glory of God in this earth as he's designed us to be so I want you to find somebody you feel comfortable with if you need to safe distance you can do that and I want us to go to our knees again this morning I want us to continue to cry out to the God of this vast universe asking for God's healing asking for God's direction asking for favor with those that need to hear about the God that lives in our story would you gather up and fall to your knees or on a chair or here at the altar let's pray for a season for a moment I'll close us and we'll finish with one last song of glory to God just like David did in Psalm 8 He focused on the glory of God. Let's pray.